Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to Maple Leaf's first quarter 2021 financial results conference call. As a reminder, this conference call is being broadcasted live on the internet and recorded. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. Please note that there will be a question and answer session following the formal remarks, and we will go over the question and answer session instructions following the conclusion of the formal presentation. I would now like to turn the conference call over to James Allison, Investor Relations at Maple Leaf. Please go ahead, Mr. Allison. Thank you, Joanna, and good morning, everyone. Speaking on the call this morning will be Michael McCain, Chief Executive Officer, Curtis Frank, Chief Operating Officer, and Hert Varellen, Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, I would like to remind you that some statements made on today's call may constitute forward-looking information and our future results may differ materially from what we discuss. Please refer to our Q1 2021 NDNA and other information on our website for a broader description of operations and risk factors that could affect the company's performance. We have uploaded our Q1 investor deck to our website, which, which includes support material for the quarter. As always, the investor relations team will be available after the call for any follow-up questions or any detailed modeling questions you might have. And with that, I'll now turn the call over to Michael McCain. Michael? Uh, Thank you, James, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to our first quarter 2021 earnings call. I'm joined today by Curtis Frank and Herod Varellen. As we cross the one-year mark of COVID-19 in North America, I'm heartened by our ability to keep our people safe and continue to supply our customers with minimal disruption. This is a testament to our people who transitioned almost seamlessly uh, to online work and our frontline staff who uh, uh, operate our facilities. We've taken extraordinary measures to safeguard them, most recently through rolling out on-site vaccination. We've maintained constant diligence and adherence throughout this uh, to our protocols and commitment to putting our people first. Uh, Turning to our business, uh, we are balancing some near-term performance Uh, while advancing our vision to lead in sustainable protein. We continue to deliver profitable growth in our meat protein business, and we are investing for growth in our plant protein business. We've repositioned our brands and our products to fuel this growth, including being leaders in two high-growth categories, sustainable meat and plant protein. We've grown them at a 25% compound growth rate, And these two categories now represent over 20% of our portfolio. It's important to note that over the past three fiscal years, we've grown our meat protein adjusted EBITDA by 53%. And we've grown in that same three-year period a plant protein business top line sales uh, by 52%. These are remarkable achievements, and I'm incredibly proud, incredibly proud of the results so far. Now, this quarter, we continued to make progress. We delivered top-line growth in the meat protein business of over 3% in the quarter. 
and our adjusted EBITDA margin was 12.2%. We're steadily and confidently moving towards our 2022 target of 14 to 16. The short-term results in our plant protein business were soft starting out this year with sales growth below our strategic target. Curtis is going to unpack that uh, later in the call. We expect to see a material improvement as the year progresses following the abatement of COVID-19 restrictions. Most importantly, though, we have unwavering confidence in the potential of this business and the investments that we're making in plant protein. We've built our organizational structure, invested in brands, brand strategies, and product innovation, and we've made strategic investments to strengthen our manufacturing base. We have a strong number two market share, and we're well positioned for growth. So with that, I'll now turn it over to Curtis, who's going to review the operations, and here to cover the financials. Curtis, over to you. Thank you, Michael, and good morning, everyone. First and foremost, I would like to reiterate Michael's thoughts and take a moment to acknowledge and thank all of our dedicated Maple Leaf employees who, through this pandemic, have maintained an unwavering focus on protecting the health and safety of our people, on ensuring the continuity of our business, and in supporting mm -hmm. the communities in which we operate. And they've done this all while producing the nutritious food that people need. Together, we are collectively working to do our part to bring the COVID pandemic to an end. To further this cause, last week, we were afforded an opportunity to host our first on-site vaccination clinics at seven of our facilities in close collaboration with regional public health authorities. We were happy to assist approximately 1,400 of our team members who voluntarily received vaccinations. We hope to continue these efforts as vaccine availability continues to improve while also supporting local clinics within the communities in which we operate. Turning to our Q1 results, I'll provide some further context across our two segments. Starting with our meat protein business, we once again delivered profitable growth as sales grew by 3.3%, while adjusted EBITDA margin expanded by 90 basis points to 12.2%. As Michael mentioned, these are remarkable achievements given we were lapping a strong quarter last year that benefited from the COVID-induced pantry loading we saw in March of 2020. We also had very limited access to China in the first quarter this year, which as you know, proved to be a very lucrative market for us at this same time a year ago. The success in our meat protein group was a direct result of the continued execution of our blueprint and also the strategic drivers that underpin it. Sustainable meat sales grew at double digits and contributed sizably to margin expansion. We continued to see branded sales growth in our prepared meats business with notable market share expansion in our leading Schneider's brand. We also grew at double digits in the US where we continued to leverage our sustainable meat brand Greenfield. Another contributing factor in our results was the continued strength of our supply chain. Despite the challenges and the clear complexities related to COVID, for several quarters now, our network has delivered significant operational efficiencies. During this first quarter, our prepared meats facilities reduced direct product costs through higher product yields, particularly in high volume SKUs such as deli and wieners. In primary processing, improved labor efficiency and raw material utilization also contributed to margin expansion. We believe there is further runway in capturing additional efficiencies, which will be a key facet towards reaching our 14 to 16% adjusted EBITDA margin target 
2022. Touching quickly on the pork commodity backdrop, the first quarter saw hog markets and pork byproduct prices surge well above the five-year average. On the surface, these dynamics imply a 160 basis point tailwind to our meat protein margins. However, this benefit was nearly fully offset by two important factors. First, we sold forward our hogs, as we commonly do in our risk management programs, and this limited the benefit of higher hog prices. And secondly, our restricted access to China meant that we were unable to fully participate in a robust byproducts market. As a result, we experienced only a slight benefit of pork markets. We have said that our strong skew towards value-added products, together with our risk mitigation processes, limit our exposure to raw material and raw commodity markets. That simply, we do not experience the low lows or the high highs, and the first quarter was a prime example of that. As we look forward, we do anticipate moderate, but very importantly, temporary margin pressure in the second quarter, as the rapid and unexpected surge in grain and hog prices have driven up meat costs. We are currently reflecting this new reality within our pricing, and we expect a full recovery starting in the third quarter. With that context, we continue to expect to achieve our meat protein targets for the full year of 2021. <clears throat> to our plant protein group, as Michael mentioned, we had a soft start to 2021. This was driven by several market factors. Firstly, COVID-related market disruptions that we experienced at the tail end of 2020 carried over to the start of 2021. In essence, the intensity of the third wave, together with related government restrictions, have heavily impeded food service activity, delayed fresh innovation, and impacted the timing of retail shelf resets. Second, the overall plant protein market has begun to lap the retail surge that we experienced together in late March of 2020, and this resulted in lower year-over-year -year growth in the month of March. Despite this market backdrop, we did see encouraging results within our portfolio. POS sales for our core retail product lines once again outpaced growth in that market subsegment, highlighted again by our Light Life Tempeh and Field Roast Chow Cheese products. POS for our retail fresh product line was stable relative to Q4 of 2020, as velocities and distribution were largely unchanged. In addition, we continued to advance our strategic agenda in the quarter, putting the pieces in place to set up the business for long-term success. We completed the re repositioning of our leading brands. In Field Roast, our new brand messaging and packaging is now in market, while in Light Life, we rolled out the second phase of product reformulation this time to the entire smart product line. We brought new innovation to the market with our Field Roast Signature Stadium Dog and plant-based pepperoni. We signed up some very strong food service partners like Wiener Schnitzels and Pizza Nova to help us bring these products to market, and we have received super positive reviews from customers and consumers. As the first products of their kind in the market, we believe there is tremendous opportunity for growth in our innovation set of products. We have recently expanded distribution for a number of Light Life and Field Roast products at Whole Foods. We continue 
to lower our supply chain costs as a result of the actions we took in late 2020. And finally, we have closed on the acquisition of our Indianapolis site and building, which will be converted into a world-class Tempe facility to support the rapid growth in the exciting Tempe category. Factoring these positive catalysts and our expectation of a gradual reopening of the economy, our full-year outlook in plant protein also remains unchanged. We continue to expect full-year sales growth broadly in line with our 30% strategic target, with the pace of growth reaccelerating as we move throughout this year. With that, I'll pass it over to Kurt. Thank you, Curtis, and good morning, everyone. I will begin by discussing the company's consolidated performance during the first, qu first quarter. I will then turn to a more detailed outlook at both our meat and plant protein groups. I'll conclude by speaking to some key financial metrics, capital expenditures, and our outlook for 2021. Sales were approximately 1.1 billion, an increase of 3% from the prior year, with higher sales in meat protein, partially offset by lower sales in plant protein. Adjusted EBITDA was approximately 98 million, an increase of 9% from the prior year. Adjusted EBITDA margin was 9.3%, an increase of 40 basis points from last year. Adjusted operating earnings were $50 million compared to $45 million last year. Net earnings were $48 million, or $0.39 cents per basic share, compared to a loss of $3.7 million, or $0.03 cents per basic share last year, largely as a result of non-cash changes in the fair value of bioassets and derivative contracts that resulted from the surge in hog and pork prices. Aside from these non-cash changes, net earnings were further supported by stronger operating and commercial performance in meat protein. Without these non-cash changes, Adjusted earnings were 26%, 26 cents per share for the quarter compared to 21 cents per share in the prior year, an increase of 24%. Looking at the meat protein segment, sales increased 3.3% to $1 billion, benefiting from pricing taking in the fourth quarter last year to offset cost pressures, a favorable mix shift towards sustainable meats and branded products, and higher fresh pork sales related to an increase in hogs processed. These factors more than offset an unfavorable impact from a stronger Canadian dollar against the US dollar, lower prepared meats compared to last year's COVID retail surge, and lower sales to China. Meat protein adjusted EBITDA grew an impressive 11% to $123 million, benefiting from strong operating performance, a mixed shift towards branded and sustainable meats, and pricing action taken in the fourth quarter. These more than offset the impact of ongoing pork trade restrictions into China. Adjusted EBITDA margin for the meat segment was 12.2%, a 90 basis point improvement over last year. It's important to highlight that this is the sixth consecutive quarter of adjusted EBITDA margin expansion as we progress towards our 2022 target. Turning to plant protein, uh, sales were $43 million, a decrease of 8.1%, or a decrease of 2.5% in US dollars. As was noted earlier, COVID-19 restrictions have disproportionately impacted this market. Overall sales growth was impacted by lower volumes in fresh retail products, which more than offset higher volumes in core retail products and pricing taken in the fourth quarter of last year to offset inflation and structural cost increases. Plant protein gross margin was 0.3%, impacted by lower sales volumes 
and lower than expected capacity utilization, which more than offset improved distribution costs and pricing action taken last year. SGNA expenses in plant protein were 29 million in line with our plan and down slightly from a year ago due to the timing of advertising and promotional expenses. As a percentage of sales, SGNA were broadly similar to last year. Turning to our balance sheet, we have a very stable financial position with $845 million of net debt and over $1 billion in undrawn committed credit. As you know, about $580 million of this debt is related to construction capital, which is carried on the balance sheet. While this is not currently generating a return, it will within the next three years as these projects come online. During the quarter, we invested $185 million in CapEx, including construction capital of $152 million, primarily related to the construction of our new poultry facility in London, Ontario. I'll wrap up with an outlook for our business for 2021. Our expectations are based on certain assumptions, primarily a return to some normalcy as COVID-19 restrictions subside. As you can see from the outlook slide in our Q1 presentation, as well as our MDNA and other materials, despite some weakness in the front half, our full year outlook remains unchanged. While we do expect some short-term pressure on meat margins in the second quarter, this is a timing lag as we are passing through pricing to adjust for higher core prices. And in plant protein, we anticipate sales to increase as COVID restrictions ease. In the context of these actions and expectations, we remain confident in our full-year outlook. I will now turn the call back to Michael. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, Hurt and um, Curtis. Uh, considering that we are operating within the significant constraints and costs imposed by this pandemic, uh, we're really pleased with our results, especially in our value-added meat business. Uh, the strong team that we have in place, the asset base, the brand portfolio, the differentiation in sustainable protein are all collectively delivering shared value uh, as we expect. This quarter, we moved the puck a little closer to the goal line. In meat protein, we're well along the journey and our 22 target is within reach. In the plant protein business, we're building a strong business backed by an integrated supply chain, well-differentiated brands and brand strategies, and the broadest product portfolio in the marketplace today. For a broader view of the year and our progress against these strategies, I would encourage everyone on the line, please, to tune in to our virtual AGM, which is being held at 11 a.m. Eastern time this morning. So with that, uh, I'll now, Joanne, open the line up for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. We also ask that you limit your time to one question plus one follow-up before cycling back into the queue. We'll pause for a moment to compile the Q&A roster. First question comes from Derek Delay. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi. Good morning, everybody. Just, um, hey, good morning, Dirk. Good morning, Dirk. Morning. Um, wanted to ask just on the on the meat side, um, just in terms of of pricing. Uh, given what we've seen here with with lean hog prices, you know, almost doubling to start the year. Can you just talk about 
I guess two things. One, the the cadence of, of pricing and volume and the impact on the 3% growth rate this quarter, and then how you expect that to to impact Maple Leaf going forward, recognizing you know the pricing increase is likely going to come out come um, in the back half of the year as opposed to Q2. Curtis, do you want to uh, do you want to address that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, hi Derek. Um, so just I'll start, Derek, with the, with the first quarter and answer your question maybe in two parts. So in, in the first quarter, um, we were, as Michael said, pleased with our sales growth. Uh, all uh, pricing, mix, and volume all contributed uh, to our to our top line performance. Uh, you'll recall from a pricing point of view, uh, we did move as we as we normally do for normal inflationary kind of costs in Q4 uh, last year. We uh, we moved our pricing forward. And obviously that had an impact in the first quarter. Uh, we continued to see favorable mix in the first quarter as well, predominantly uh, through the execution of our strategies, frankly. Uh, we saw growth in both sustainable meats and, uh, and a shift toward, uh, toward branded products, which were favorable in the quarter. And then uh, finally, our volumes were stronger. Uh, we saw uh, higher fresh pork volumes that, that more than offset uh, a little bit softer prepared meats volumes. Keep in mind, our, our prepared meats volumes were down slightly uh, year over year, but that's predominantly based on uh, on the month of March, Derek. We, we had a really great start to the year in P1 and 2 from a volume performance point of view. And then, uh, as you would expect, there was a pretty significant impact when we hit the, the kind of timing of the COVID uh, load-ins from a year ago. So, so that's basically a summary of Q1. Uh, looking forward, I think the best way to think about our outlook on sales uh, uh, looking forward would be just simply uh, to take you towards where we, we kind of guided you, which is mid to high single digit uh, outlook for the year on a 52 week basis. We, we, our view on that remains unchanged. Uh, we do expect to uh, increase prices as a result of, of the market impacts that you've, uh, that you've clearly outlined. That will happen kind of late in Q2 and that we're very confident that we'll fully recover those costs in Q3 and Q4. And, uh, you know, the very reason we've got it towards a range of, of mid to high single digits is is, uh, is for that purpose. And keep in mind, we would have planned as part of our annual pricing uh, rhythm to reflect any inflationary costs uh, that we would have incurred in the fall anyway. So we're, we're basically just pulling that, pulling that forward uh, for this year. Okay, great. That's really good color. Um, just to follow up a little bit on your commentary just on that, that pull forward in, in retail that you saw in, in, in March at the start of COVID. You know, I guess looking forward, hopefully, I, I suppose we, we get some relaxation in some of these restrictions and things start to improve on the COVID front. That would you know lead me to believe we'd see some food service, um, some of the food service business returning. So can you just comment on, on any impacts that might have on, on one revenue and two margins? Yeah, I think I think it would be fair to say that um, maybe in two parts of our business here, if that's okay. I, I think the I think the way to think about the forward view here would be to say in our meat protein business, uh, the impact will be relatively neutral. Um, so you know, at, at the most at the highest level, don't see any uh, impact in our ability to deliver to the 14 to 16 percent range by 2022. Uh, no impact at all. So neutral in meat and probably slightly positive to the plant protein business. Now, the reason I think it's neutral in meat is uh, the timing of the return to normalcy and the, you know, in the channel mix between retail and food service uh, will be gradual. It won't, won't, certainly won't be an event. And uh, we've seen incredible strength in both the, the penetration of our brands as well as 
the growth in our margin of creative sustainable meats business in both the U.S. and Canada. And I think those will continue to give us positive benefit moving forward. And when you combine that with kind of some of the skills and that we've built in our revenue management function and our ability to, to manage uh, inflationary costs, I think we're incredibly well positioned for the back part of the year. So I, I think just keeping that guidance intact is, is, uh, is important. When you think about the plant protein business, uh, the reason I say that it, it may be slightly positive is number one, uh, we expect that we'll accelerate our food service relationships and partnerships, particularly with some of the innovative products that we have coming to market. Uh, as the year advances and uh, many retailers in North America haven't taken the time to reset their shelves in a, in a meaningful way. And uh, once we see an abatement of COVID, I think we'll, we'll start to see shelf resets and when we expect positive news again from a distribution and an innovation point of view. So I think neutral in meat and, and positive to plant if that's helpful. The other very thing helpful. I would add, uh, Derek, the only thing I would add to everything that Curtis uh, very articulately outlined is that as the as vaccination rates come on and uh, you know as society in North America normalizes, we would also see some, not full, but some abatement in our cost structure that's related to COVID, which we'd anticipated. We didn't, and we we priced in what we felt were the sustainable kind of permanent infrastructure components of that COVID uh, protection. Uh, operating structure. Clearly, as vaccination rates in society opens up, some that will move back, which is margin accretive, right? So, which we would expect. So, so I, I think uh, you know we're 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 highly confident uh, that we'll maintain we can maintain our guidance. Okay, good to hear. All the best. Thanks. Your next question comes from Michael Van Eist. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. So just getting back on to the, the plant-based protein, can you help us get some confidence in, in that 30% growth number getting, or, or the, the close to 30% growth number, considering the, the tough start to the year? And Q2 has a very tough comp as well, 40% growth last year. Um, so are you seeing any growth in Q2 to start? Or you know, what, what gives you the confidence to get to that close to that 30% in the second half of the year, given that, you know, if, if you don't get growth in the first half, you're going to need, you know, 50% plus lift in the second half. Well, for start, for starters, uh, Michael, and, and first of all, good morning. And uh, that's a good great morning. question is, uh, is, uh, you know, the comp in the, the comp in the second quarter is, is strong with the comp in the third and fourth quarter, not so much. So uh, that, you know, you put that into into balance. The the confidence that we have is based on you know the the composition of building blocks. Those building blocks are, uh, you know, the normalization due to COVID, um, and an innovation pipeline that we're really really excited about. Uh, and Curtis will be has described a bit of that, but maybe Curtis, you could add some color. Yeah, thank you, uh, Michael. I think I think there's maybe four things that I would outline that will be accelerants in the back part of the year. The first is just to keep in mind that the core health of the business uh, remains intact and the, and the core is very healthy and that's led by our tempeh business and, and our chow cheese business in field row. So light life tempeh and chow cheese, those businesses remain healthy growing and we expect uh, to see very strong performance in, in both of those businesses as the year progresses. The second, as you, as you mentioned, uh, Michael appropriately is we have some very, very strong 
uh, innovation coming over the balance of the year. Uh, the first is in our field row stadium dog, which is the first, I think North America's first uh, pea-based hot dog. The second is in a pizza pepperoni platform uh, that we're just thrilled with. Uh, and we think has got tremendous opportunity in the food service channel, as well as a retail application, uh, also a pea-based uh, product. And the third is in a chicken product that we're bringing to the meat department uh, that we're also really excited about. So the core is healthy, we've got innovation coming. COVID, we will see an abatement throughout the year and expect to see uh, both retail benefit to that, but also an uptick in the food service channel. And then finally, uh, we do expect that the proceeds from our brand renovation work that we've done in Light Life and Field Roast uh, will benefit as, uh, as the products take hold and the repositioning takes hold in the market, as well as our advertising campaigns to support them over the balance of the year. So I think those are the four uh, most important factors to, to keep in mind as we look to accelerate growth in the back half. And, uh, and we have tremendous confidence. That, that's helpful, Curtis. Thank you. And just to clarify something, so the the delays in resetting the, or adjusting the shelves at retailers, how how does that differ between you know, the you know adding new products like uh, Impossible has added thousands of new doors in the la, uh, in the last six months versus the resetting of the shelves? To allow for innovation, the the, um, the the fresh department tends to be a little bit more accordion-like, kind of ebbs and flows, and the standard departments like say produce or the uh, prepared meats uh, department, where there's fixed space merchandise in the store, tend to move uh, broadly. Not every retailer is the same, obviously, but broadly in one or two planogram window changes per year, and many retailers have pushed them off or delayed them just because of the resourcing constraints and, and frankly, the demand that they've experienced in, uh, in dealing with the COVID surge. So we, we kind of see that getting back to normal in the back part of the year. And the benefit will be an opportunity to open up more space, we think, for innovative products um, in, uh, in the retail channel in particular over the balance of the year. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, would, you be able, would you be willing to give us the split between the core uh, and the fresh? from a sales perspective and, and the growth in those two? I think we'll take that on. We'll think about that, uh, Michael. We've not yeah. typically segmented that business, but I think we should take that under advisement and think about it. Right. You know, we don't, want to, we don't want to be distracted by, you know, segmentations in these things. We have a portfolio and a very broadest portfolio in the marketplace, and, and there will always be some measure of, you know, puts and takes across that, uh, the various sub-segments. I would I would add to Curtis's perspective, um, uh, which gives us the optimism of the of the accelerating uh, growth rates as the year progresses. That you know at the end of the day, uh, Michael, the, the strategic perspective on this, the lens that we apply most commonly, is is rooted uh, gives us confidence in a number of different ways. The first is that you know while on one hand. You know, we are disappointed, of of course, in a decelerating growth rate through the COVID experience. On the other hand, we're not going to be uh, guided uh, or pushed aside based on, you know, a COVID experience uh, and all of the implications that that had or, or the, you know, the vagaries of quarter-to-quarter -quarter competitive skirmishes. There are three, there are three participants today in this category, three. We are number two of the three, right? And interestingly, if you chart out the last two years of quarterly growth rates, in fact, in the last two quarters, 
and continuing, the growth rates between our growth rate and the number one in the category have actually converged, plus or minus a few percentage points of each other. So in aggregate, and there's puts and takes in, in all of these portfolios, but in aggregate, the growth rates in the category have actually converged uh, over the course of the last six months. And that gives us a little, that gives us some confidence, actually. Maybe, you know, we, we have to manage that confidence carefully, but that gives us some good confidence. You know, we're focused on the long term. The performance in the category is, has shaken out to three investing category, investing participants. Yes, we're continuing. This is not a loss. These are investments. They're investments in growth. We have a long-term view. Uh, we're making the choice to invest, and we have the confidence in our brands and our long-term brand strategies. As, these, as the performance between these players has converged, we're confident that our strategies will, will have a, a, a very lucrative outcome over the long term. And so, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we, feel, we feel very good about it in total. Uh, you know, disappointed, obviously, in, in the COVID experience, but overall, long term, we feel very good about it. Thank you, Michael. The next question comes from Irene Natal. Please go ahead. Thanks, and, and good morning, everyone. A very interesting discussion so far. A uh, couple of questions. Um, first of all, on sort of the, the pricing action that you're planning on taking, what's been the tone of discussions with the grocers? I know they're never easy, but I think there's also recognition as to what's going on out there. So just kind of wondering what you're seeing and, and I guess, the receptivity of your core clients to, to these discussions. Well, I think the, the, uh, the discussions uh, are the same as all discussions with, uh, the, you know, the retail community. There, there's always, you know, the, the friction attached to that in the marketplace has been forever, always has been, always will be. I don't think there's anything here that's out of the norm, Irene. And at the end of the day, the facts prevail. And all you need to do is pull up a chart that shows the grains over the last, uh, over the last three months and lean hog prices over the last three months, and the facts are compelling. They're, they're just beyond you know, compelling. They affect everybody, and they actually affect the inflation rates in the entire food complex. So um, at the end of the day, the friction is normal, the discussions are constructive, uh, and the facts are you know, beyond compelling. Yeah, I was actually wondering, in the other sense, Michael, whether because it is so clear and compelling, whether perhaps the friction had been sort of diminished a little bit. Never. <laughs> I know, wishful thinking on my part. Okay. Yep. Um, also kind of wondering, as we're seeing uh, the U.S. start to open up, um, have you, it, maybe it's too early, but have you seen – any kind of shifts in behavior or any shifts in sort of uh, perhaps a step up in um, or the beginning of some of these opening, these sort of resets in markets in the U.S. where we have yes. seen, yes. So can you walk yeah, well, you're seeing channel, seeing? What you're seeing is What yes. you're seeing is channel normalization in the U.S., Irene. And uh, I mean, some of the largest QSRs in America are reporting actually uh, sales, rates and velocities that are, you know, growth over pre-pandemic numbers. So, which I think is a, is a reflection of the fact that they, they are, they are in many parts of the U S seen pretty solid 
economic recovery and uh, and normalization. So yes, very much so in the U.S. Less so in Canada, but uh, more in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. No. No. Definitely. And, and it, presumably that's sort of easing some of the discussions that you're having with them around product innovation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it does. There's there's always a lag. There's always a lag attached to that. Uh, but but yes. We've got some very yeah. exciting things in the, in the pipeline. Okay. And just finally to cover off this subject, Michael, um, as you haven't, because from your answer, would I be wrong to interpret that you haven't yet seen that flow into retail and, and sort of some of the resets begin in retail or that's starting in certain markets? I'm not sure I'm fully understanding your question. Well, um, in answer, the discussion that you had with, with Michael is just around some of the restrictions, some, some of sort of the resets that you're waiting to see oh. or that you're waiting to have yeah, yeah. In, in the retail channel. And so just wondering whether in, in market, in plant, in, in plant, in plant, you're yeah. talking uh, in plant? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Curtis, you, yeah. you, you want to address that one? Good morning. I, I think the uh, the short answer there would be it's it's far too soon, number one, and typically you wouldn't see that happen. Uh, over the summer, that would more be a fall uh, rhythm, and, and we expect that uh, uh, hopefully to return as a as a normal fall rhythm in uh, in in uh, grocery resets. That's great. Thank you. The next question comes from Peter Sklar. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. Sorry. Back on the the plant base. When we see the point of sale data, you see like impossible really growing quite rapidly as it entered the um, you know the the u.s grocery channel so like you have you have much better access to um point of sale and market share data than we have so i'm just wondering like what what do you think is happening there do you think that they're taking share from yourself and beyond or are they expanding the category or is it a bit of both in your eyes well, it's a bit of both. Uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, I'll speak to it in the context of the last six months because you know that's when the competitive skirmishes have, have occurred. Uh, they have gained uh, they've gained a, a couple of percentage points, Peter. It's not massive. It's a couple of percentage points as the number three player in the marketplace. Uh, we've lost a little bit, not not much actually. If you look at our market shares of the last six months, they've been super stable actually lost a little bit. Most of it has come from, interestingly, the all other category, uh, because there's the three big ones, and then there's this very long tail of a whole bunch of other participants. And that long tail of other participants has contracted most of the share loss in the last six months has been uh, in the all other category. And the, the number one position, the number one player was relatively flat. We lost a tiny little bit. Most of the loss came from all other. Uh, in advantage in, uh, to the benefit of number three. But if you look at the charts of, a lot of the spins data uh, in market shares in the category of the last six months, you know, plus or minus a percentage point, they've been quite stable, very stable, actually, very stable in historical terms. And what have the, what have the uh, pricing and promotion backdrop been um, in the U.S. and the Canadian market? So, for example, like we've noticed that your competitors have been introducing value packs, which seems to be well-priced. And I noticed uh, Metro and its flyer had a very strong promotion. Um, I believe it was on Light Life uh, the other week. So mm -hmm. 
you talk a little bit about the promotional, like the the promotional and pricing backdrop? Like it seems intense, just looking at flyers and things. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you. I don't think there's any insight there beyond the normal activity of promotion. You know, promotional activity is just part of the food industry in all categories, and you know, you try and create value impressions no matter what product or category you're operating in. But I don't think there's any you know, competitive intensity there expected in the category that would be on be outside the norm, if, if you will. Um, you know, I, you know, there's a, there's certainly lots of theater attached to, to uh, some of these things, you know, but, you know, we have, we have probably the lowest cost supply chain in the marketplace. So if there ever was, you know, undue competitive activity, you know, Competition is not something that we're, you know, we're, uh, you know, shy about. Uh, but I don't see any fundamentals that are going to lead to that outcome. Okay, that's good to hear. And then just lastly, um, um, you know, the benefits that you're that you're hoping to see from the brand renovation and also the, you know, the major innovations, which seem to be the field roast hot dog and the and the pizza product. Can you give us specific timing? be a little more specific about timing on when when those innovations and when those brand renovations actually hit the shelf in, in the U.S. grocery chain? Yeah, Curtis will give you some uh, detailed timing on those. Uh, I, I would highlight, Peter, that, you know, the, the growth in this category is going to be driven by the, the the engine here is going to be constant innovation. So there are a couple of examples that Curtis cited. We have a portfolio that is of innovation and in the pipeline that is uh, is very deep uh, today, and so those are two immediate in the marketplace examples. There are dozens of examples like that right behind it, uh, not in the marketplace yet, and that we're continuing to be excited about. So it's, what's important, you know, beyond the next quarter or two, to recognize is that this this has been and will continue to be you know, across all of our portfolio an innovation-led growth rate. Right. There's lots going on with the consumers, but there will be an innovation-led uh, growth rate. Curtis, maybe you just speak to some of the timings on this. Yeah, sure, of course. Uh, the, the Field Row Stadium dog is uh, is actually now hitting the market, and uh, we have distribution confirmed at a number of, uh, of customers. It wouldn't be appropriate to list them all off, but a number of customers uh, starting here in the second quarter. Uh, so we're excited there, obviously. The Light Life uh, Chicken uh, products are going to be launching uh, the middle of May, and we've got a. Uh, we're starting with a national uh, customer that we're bringing on board, and then we'll be expanding distribution from there. Uh, the pizza pepperoni uh, is uh, is will be starting in the second quarter of 2021 as well, and then of course we launched our line extensions in chow cheese uh, last year in the fourth quarter. We continue to build a distribution rapidly within the retail channel as well. So. Um, and then we've got some kind of important uh, customer inroads that we've made in the club channel as well. So I, I think it would be fair to say that the balance of the products are launching throughout the second quarter, and uh, we'll continue to build distribution in stores from there. And Curtis, when did the Light Life and Field Roast brand renovations like actually turn up on the shelves? Most of the work, um, most of the work in the formulation components of Light Life was was completed through January, uh, uh, March. So there, there really, 
it would be fair to say that the products themselves are really rolling out in full. They rolled out throughout the first quarter, obviously, but we're really only now getting the fulsome benefit of having the products, the packaging, and the uh, and the formulations on on shelf here. And uh, field roast is just is really just March and April. Uh, the new packaging rolling out and and the early read in terms of kind of pickup and POS has been really positive reception to the field roast uh, repositioning and repackaging. Okay. Thanks very much. The next question comes from Mark Petrie. Please go ahead. Hey, good, good morning, Mark. Uh, good morning. Um, so I just wanted to follow up on this whole sort of plant uh, sales split. I think Michael asked about it, you know, with regards to between core and fresh, and I know you don't want to get into it, but is it fair to say that the ad and promo investment uh, between those two buckets is relatively balanced and, and matches sales, or would one be getting a bit more? Well, for most of the most of the ad and promo investment is is brand focused, and you know the brands actually span both categories. So you know it's it's because it's it's brand focused and not category focused that I'd say both. Okay, and 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 with regards to the gross margin performance. I mean, can we assume that fresh is a bit of a drag just given the competitive intensity in that category or, or are they, you know, relatively comparable as well? Uh, it's not, it's not driven by the competitive intensity uh, as I, as I uh, articulated with Peter a moment ago, Mark, but I, I do, you know, I think they're relatively balanced across the portfolio. We, we obviously have, you know, we have, we've invested for growth, that has been slower coming than we expected in the fresh side, which impacts obviously those near-term gross margins, but uh, beyond that component is relatively comparable across the portfolio. Most of the investments, again, are in people and infrastructure and innovation pipeline and R&D and ad and pro advertising that is brand strategy focused, et cetera. Okay, thanks. And um, you called out new customer wins for Greenfield in the U.S. Um, is, is that, has that been a pretty consistent driver of the growth or can you just give us a bit more context in terms of, you know, how much of the growth, you know, in Q1 uh, or maybe even in 2020 more broadly is sort of sell through versus new listings or new customers? Curtis, we, we haven't, we haven't distinguished that or segmented that. Uh, yeah, we have, we have data. But, but I'll give you just some general, maybe just some general color. Um, we're getting uh, we're getting support in both areas, both from a velocity improvement and also from a, an expansion of distribution of the brand uh, to more retailers. Where I think where we're excited about our sustainable needs business is that we continue to be, as you can imagine, relatively small in the context of the United States market, uh, with tremendous white space for opportunity for growth, both in terms of expanding items where we have existing relationships with retailers in the U.S., but also expanding uh, the brand itself to more retailers within the United States. So, so significant upside and potential for growth. And then also the utilization of the animal, I think we've talked about in the past, uh, offers us an opportunity to continue to introduce some more products uh, into the market as well. So, so lots of growth potential left in the sustainable meats business in the U.S., and, and we're getting kind of growth in both areas. Okay, great. And and how should we think about capacity uh, of those uh, of those animals and, and your ability to, uh, to to continue to fulfill the growth? We have um, um, our, our growth rate can be sustained through a couple.
couple of sources. Number one, we, we continue to grow our own in-house production of um, uh, our own production of, of um, animals and live hogs raised without antibiotics. Um, we have growth potential driven by our increased utilization of the meat, both in poultry and in, in pork. So the utilization rates continue to grow as you as we've discussed in the past that's a that's an important metric and then once we uh, once we uh, tap out those two uh, supply lines we also have the option the option of converting the balance of our non uh, maple leaf hog supply to some portion of raised without antibiotics and we just have to we would then find pathways to share the IP that we have in raising those animals without, uh, without antibiotics with others which we're prepared to do, uh, which can sustain the uh, growth rate beyond that. So we, we've got lots of opportunity to very methodically um, uh, you know, maintain that supply line for the foreseeable future. Okay, and then just one last one. Curtis, could you expand on the efficiency improvements that you've achieved in processing and primary production? I mean, you, you called it out in your script, and it would be helpful if you could just give us uh, some context on the on the sort of materiality of that, and how, also how much sort of further opportunity still exists. You know, are you halfway through, uh, or or what's the relative sort of progress? Yeah, I don't want to get too much into I don't, to disclosing detailed specifics, but here's what I would say: uh, we we've been clear that in our path to achieving our 14 to 16 percent margin target, we will drive efficiencies uh, in our business, both from an operational point of view. Um, but also from a kind of a cost mitigation point of view. And we've been pretty successful over the past few years at, at doing both. Um, uh, you know, we, we would say often that we're not, you know, our ZBB process maybe isn't, isn't quite as intense as others, but I think we've been from a budgeting and cost containment and management point of view pretty effective. And, uh, and we continue to see uh, cost being a material driver uh, or a driver at least to our ability to achieve uh, our 14 to 16% target, and we're well on the path to accomplishing that. Our plant, our plant, and our operational performance is an area that we're we're really quite proud. Uh, we've made significant headway, obviously, since the uh, uh, since the um, transformational years. Uh, we've made steady progress in our operations, and even in a COVID uh, environment, uh, we continue to see strength, uh, and uh, and we're managing our direct product costs very very efficiently and very effectively within within our operations. So, I think the color would be. Uh, super positive results. We expect them to continue, and uh, and the transformational challenges are well in the rearview mirror, and and, uh, and we're well on our path to achieving our targets. And, and cost management will be a, a component of that. I would add, uh, I would add, Mark, that you know uh, these types of efficiency gains are a game of inches. It's just we happen to have thousands of those inches, right? And that that's yeah. how that's how it uh, that's how they accumulate. And it's an ongoing process. We just—it's not a project or a program with a beginning and an end. It's—it's it's an ongoing benefit. Uh, there are any number of uh, operational efficiency opportunities that we see, you know, in the runway in that game of inches uh, ahead of us, uh, up to and including, you know, as our volume progresses, uh, finding very creative and new ways to optimize the asset utilization across the platform, which is probably the uh, the next and newest frontier so just you know hard to describe that game of inches when there's a thousand of them but there but it, it it's we see that as being you know an ongoing effort 
Okay, great. Appreciate all the comments and all the best. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have any follow-up questions, please press star followed by one. Next question comes from George Dumay. Please go ahead. Good morning, George. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, I wanted to, uh, to ask about that um, DSG&A spend in plants. It was about $145 million last year. Can you guys maybe give us a sense of how much of that was headcount um, versus promotion? And within that, that, I guess, that promotion um, kind of bucket, can you talk a little bit about how much we spend on, on rebranding and reformulation? So any context around that would be appreciated. Eric, do you want to take that, uh, take that question? Uh, sure, uh, George. The, um, the overall bucket of 145, so there's, there's two components. You've got AMP and you've got the, um, so what we call supporting the structure or the organizational development of the, of the company, of the segment. The bulk, I would say it's probably roughly 75, 25 last year was AMP. Um, as we scale up, uh, this business, obviously, the the proportion of brand investments is going to go down, and we're going to scale. And, and uh, uh, on the other side, the, uh, the SG&A support for the organization is going to go up. Uh, but that's the thinking around us when we think about this long term. Nominally, uh, for the first number of years, we would stick up around the same uh, amount of dollars, but the proportion of AMP would gradually go down as we scale up the organization with more sales force, with more R&D force, uh, uh, et cetera. Um, so that's, that's the first part of your question. Can you repeat the second part, please? Yeah, uh, just in general, I guess within that 75%, like how much do we spend, spend on rebranding and reformulating light life and field growth? Um, that is more an R&D question, I think. Yeah, it, it, there's, that would that would have shown up, uh, George, mostly in the non-AMP components in terms of uh, in terms of our our infrastructure investments in R&D. Inside inside the brand, the advertising, the AMP budget, we try and you know focus all of that on our kind of new brand strategies. So uh, the vast majority, the vast majority. Okay, that's helpful. You guys spent quite a bit of time on on giving us the innovation for, for plants, so thanks for that. But can you maybe give us a sense of how much growth is left in new doors for us um, be in retail, be it in the U.S. or in Canada? In which, please? In like new doors, like distribution and for plants. How much? How much growth is left for that? Well, um, well, it depends if you look at new doors and distribution of the new items and innovation. Innovation, whether it's the as Curtis referred to a few of the examples, like whether it's the stadium dogs or the work that we're doing and. In the cheese platform, or uh, or uh, the, the pepperoni or chicken platforms that we've, uh, the pizza toppings and, and chicken platforms, you know, it's all new distribution. <laughs> so, uh, if you're looking at it from an item perspective, the obviously we've still got a long ways to go in the fresh pla uh, platform uh, to expand our distribution. Um, so. Uh, from an item perspective, George, I would think that it's you know, most of it comes through new distribution of those new items, right? And that's I think that's normal. I'm not sure that's addressing your question, but uh, yeah, maybe from an ACV standpoint um, or, or something like that, in terms of just getting a sense of how penetrated we are in the U.S. retail. Well, we've historically the brands are penetrated. You know, 60 light life and field growth are present in. 
65 to 70 percent ACV. Now the question is, you double click that and say, well, yeah, tell me about this by category, and that's what it is. So you got a range of answers to that. Um, the you know, the 65 70 percent is uh, is is kind of the portfolio is kind of the portfolio average. But you got say, for example, Light Life uh, Smart Dogs would have uh, I don't have the data in front of me, but it'd be you know well in excess of 80. Um, uh, field roast, maybe the field roast core items, same thing. But then you've got some of the new innovation items, whether it's at Fresh or the field roast items in Stadium Dogs or some of these other platforms. You know, they would be in the 20s. And so it's you know it's a it's a combination of all those things. Okay, the, great. The, and, and, the, the, the challenge with a the challenge with a uh, you know with a uh, a brand ACV number is that it, it you know it is that the the devil's in the details there of uh, how does it break out and shake out by category or some category and new innovation that's helpful well thanks for the color i appreciate that and, and it seems that we're, we're, we're focusing quite a bit on on food service um more and more can, can you maybe talk to how you how you see our mix uh evolving like our, our food service to retail mix evolving maybe as we get to 2022 Curtis, you want to address that? Um, yeah, sure. I, I think um, you know. I think we're talking about food service lots in the context of you know, in the sense that we're starting to see a more gradual reopening in the United reopening in the United States. And we're excited about the prospects of some of our innovation products lining with our food service uh, customers. And frankly, we're excited to be back at the table with food service customers who are more optimistic now about, about the future. And uh, we're having some great conversations, so and, and we expect to make meaningful progress. So that that's the reason why we're talking about food service. That doesn't diminish the fact that we have a wonderful retail business, and uh, and we're going to grow it, and it continues to be the most material component of our of our uh, of our portfolio. I don't expect a material, you know, early in. I guess it depends on your definition of material, but I don't expect a material mix shift in early 2022. Um, but I do expect positive momentum in, uh, you know, coming out of the food service channel in, in the short term, but with no negative uh, material mixing agents to our, to our over. Okay, thanks for that. And just one last one, if I may, on a topic that probably doesn't get that much of your time. Um, but, but on M&A uh, in general, like just wondering if you guys, what the appetite is there for M&A? Um, is that something you guys are looking at actively? Well, there's, there's nothing we would uh, we would speak to looking at actively today. I think we've got our we've got our hands full right now from a capital perspective on completing the uh, completing the task at hand, which is uh, a major project in uh, London in our poultry business. It's you know, not not insignificant at, at uh, 720 million dollars. Um, Having said that, we fully expect that to be behind us, you know, as 2022 unfolds uh, and coming into 2023. And so, uh, of course, we need to be looking forward on what the growth prospects for use of cash will be beyond the London poultry investment. And, you know, we are constantly uh, looking through the strategic lens of what those opportunities might uh, might be. Uh, so, uh, you know, I suspect once we get through this capital uh, capital intense period that uh, that you, you know you'll see us being much more active in uh, M and A over the course of the subsequent 
you know, five years. Okay, great. Thanks for your answers. Good luck. The next question is a follow-up from Michael Van Eist. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, can you just give us an update on the poultry business? Uh, I think around this time last year is when we saw the, the food service sales fall off and, and the mm -hmm. supply have to get cut uh, a few months later. Um, and then I guess from what I understand, from what I recall, your your business stabilized after that and margins went back to normal, but with lower revenues. Can you talk about uh, where you're seeing it now? Are we starting to see it come back? And, and is the is the industry yeah. supply coming back? Well, the headline is uh, the headline is Michael is that the uh, in the first quarter. The third wave of COVID was not kind to the poultry business. That that is, uh, you know, that I think we've been clear about that. But it's not as acute as it was a year ago, and largely because I think everybody was well prepared for the fact that it wouldn't be as kind. And I think so. I think the reactions were not as uh, not as acute. And uh, late in 2020, in, in late in the fourth quarter of 2020. The industry proactively, very uh, and aggressively, reduced supply. So uh, we are seeing now at the end, near the end of Q1, coming into QT, Q2, uh, a right sizing of that supply. And so the markets are right now, as we speak, more closely tracking coming into the second quarter in the back half of of 2021 more closely tracking what you would expect in five-year average. So uh, last year, uh, in the, as COVID uh, emerged, it was a, a really challenging period in poultry. It got better. Third wave uh, hits us. It tightened up, but not nearly as acute, and we're starting to see some recovery. Okay, and, and I guess as food service starts to recover, you would expect that poultry yes. supply to start yeah. ramping up again. Well, yeah, yes, I think there will be a lag time in that. But yeah, right now, we're just the industry is concentrating on keeping the supply and demand in relative balance through it, through what is very difficult to forecast. Because as you know, this COVID experience in the first quarter was on again, off again, on again, off again. That makes it incredibly hard to forecast. All right. And uh, but but I think we've managed through it uh, reasonably well and. Is not like the uh, kind of the shock therapy that we experienced in uh, in second quarter of last year. All right, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes the question and answer session. I will now turn the call back over to Mr. McCain for closing comments. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we're very excited about uh, about uh, uh, how this is all unfolding for us, both in both of our platforms. You know, obviously, uh, excitement comes with challenge and uh, disappointment, but uh, we've got our eye on the on the prize in the long term, and um, and we appreciate uh, all of the support. Uh, so we'll look forward to updating you in the next quarter, and uh, and thank you for your time this morning. Uh, have a have a wonderful day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating, and we ask that you please disconnect your lines. Enjoy the rest of your day.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.